Denver Ad School is filled with passionate creatives from all different backgrounds. In this episode, I speak with my classmate, art director Gunnar Renyard. We talk about growing up with a love for the outdoors and rock climbing, Gunnar imagining himself in the role of the main character when he plays a game or reads books, and how this all fed into a love for acting and filmmaking from a young age. My name is Jeff Ollery, and this is Journey to Add. I love Utah. I've only done Canyon Winds and Arches. Okay. But Arches Zion, is beautiful, and I need to go to Zion. Arches is cool. Zion was amazing. I think I went on a trip with my girlfriend, and I think it was our favorite day by far. It's beautiful. There's really good rock climbing there, too. I'm sure. <laughs> I would believe it. <laughs> That's always what I'm looking for. I tried doing it at Lake Powell, but there's so much sandstone yeah. um, that you just either break away a piece or okay. um it's just too slippery so yeah. well and also it's near water so a lot of things grow on the rock that make it almost impossible to stay on gotcha so do you outdoor climb regularly i need to more regular like yeah more often i need to go but uh i know the basics i me and my friends have gone before a lot, but we kind of do things, I think, the wrong way. <laughs> so I need a mentor, and one of my dad's, uh, not my dad's, one of my friend's stepdad's is all into rock climbing. He's been doing it for years and um, does other, like, big mountains. And so we're hoping that he's just going to show us the ropes, and then we can pass it on. Okay. Nice. Yeah. You'll never catch me outdoor climbing. It's fun. It's a lot more adrenaline. Yeah, I'm sure. Bouldering is easy, though, to do outdoors, because then you just need a um, crash pad and some chalk and shoes. Yeah. I like it. I think it's fun. Fair enough. That is a a little bit more scary, though, than lead climbing, or sport climbing, because if you do fall from 25 feet onto a crash pad, you still won't feel good. But you'll live. True. And you'll probably get up and just shake it off. Yeah. There is a certain height, though, for bouldering that if you get too high, um, or it's called high ball bouldering, and it just goes kind of above the limit and scratches the line of free soloing or bouldering, gotcha. and then that's when you can injure yourself. Yeah. That just doesn't seem worth it to me. <laughs> yeah. Not for a lot of people. <laughs> I don't know. But, I don't know. More power to you. It's fun. I like it. Yeah. Where are you from? I am from uh, Colorado Springs, Colorado, just an hour south of Denver. Mm-hmm. And when did you start rock climbing? Seriously, two years ago or three years ago. Okay. Uh, during one summer, my friends, we had always been hanging out, um, and then one day they went to the rock climbing gym, and they started getting uh, more and more involved in it, and then they invited me, and then I kind of got more involved in it than they did. <laughs> okay. So now... It's they, funny how that works. <laughs> yeah. they. I really fell in love with it. So they don't really climb as much anymore. Uh, it kind of takes me to get them out there. And so, I don't know, kind of reverses the roles that were initially played, but I love it. Okay. Yeah. So that was. So that's a more recent thing. But knowing you and also just knowing Colorado Springs, I'm sure the outdoors were huge for you growing up. Yeah. So, I mean, I definitely rock climb growing up or just go on hikes, runs, all of those types of things. Growing up in Colorado, I definitely took for granted 
the mountains and the nature and everything that you could do outdoors to where when I left Colorado, I realized how much I loved it and missed it and wanted to come back. Gotcha. So as far as like hobbies and things you're interested in growing up, was it mainly outdoor activities or did you have other things you did? It should have been more outdoor activities. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I played a lot of sports. I played probably every sport that you could... Not every sport that you could think of, but a whole handful all of them. The, all the generic like, I, school sports? Well, those, and then like fencing, oh, and okay. uh, di- well, I guess diving is... Swimming and sport. diving, yeah. Yeah, but basically all the regular high school sports, just because I quit, wanted to quit and try them all, but fencing was the oddball, <laughs> and that whole pair of things. But that was fun, that was awesome. Yeah. But for the most part, my main sport was soccer. And then beyond sports, and doing random runs and hikes with my family uh, I would be playing a lot of video games (laughs) okay and then beyond that uh filmmaking and acting were a big part of my junior high and high school gotcha so before we get to the filmmaking stuff because I know that's a big part of your story video games was there particular types of games that you like to play or were they story driven were they shooter were they sports games I played them all but okay. for me personally my favorite ones were the story driven games just because i mean you could play the same call of duty from 10 years ago and feel like it's never changed right now <laughs> sure but something with story games and just realizing the potential that video games have on storytelling is really amazing i think some people who bash video games don't understand how amazing the storytelling is and how much you can learn as a player from playing these games and like yeah. they put you in a lot of I guess they're fake, but it's all like a lot of moral dilemmas in that you get to choose between on how you handle them. So I always liked those types of games that kind of like you pick your own adventure and then you create your own sort of dilemmas that you have to get out of. And I think that video games are just an interactive way of storytelling that you can't really get anywhere else. Sure. Was there a favorite game or favorites that you wish you could go back and play or that you played Just a re-experience ton as a kid. again? Yeah. yeah. I mean, one that I could wish I could completely play over and have no memory of is the Bioshock series, okay. um, which is a super cool... At first glance, you don't think there's like a huge story surrounding it until you realize that there is throughout like the middle of the first game and then the second game and the third game. There's only three, but it deals with kind of time and space and different multi-dimensions. I don't know how to really explain this series in one go, but... Perhaps the best solution is to go on the internet and just it, look just it up look for it yourself. Up. Yeah, just <laughs> look it up for yourself. It's, it's really complicated, and you'd have to play to kind of understand, because each game has its own storyline that you could play if you wanted to out of order. Mm-hmm. But third game kind of just sums up all three of them in this huge grand storyline of why everything is happening um, and why it's happening across multiple dimensions yeah so it's really in depth but you wouldn't know that until you play the third game how in depth this whole universe is okay i feel like people don't think of the storytelling that goes into video games like they don't think of it in the same way as a film or a novel but there's just like the a lot of the same tools that kind of go into it i feel like yeah and some of the most popular movie series or uh, books have become video games or vice versa video games have become TV yeah. series and movies like the new Witcher series on Netflix which I think is fantastic but I mean it first started out as a, as a book 
And I think it's just another form of art that people don't really look at as art mm-hmm. all the time because you can easily take the iteration from the Witcher books and how you form that into a video game is completely different on how you form that into a show. Yeah. And you have to focus on how close to the books you want to stay or if you want to go completely away from them. And the way that I see video games and movie making and just novels is that in a video game, it's still like a movie. You're still watching a story unfold, learning something new, and there's always a moral and a reason why that the story was made. But for me, the coolest difference is that instead of watching some other actor uh, get to experience this story, Mm -hmm. you as the player can experience everything from a character's point of view instead of watching someone else be a character, which I I like. I like imagining myself in kind of these roles. Or some people uh, like completely making up their own roles and making up new stories who aren't based off who they are as a person uh, and make it completely their own. So it's really amazing what people do with their imaginations in games and i think that it's a little look past and i think there is kind of a problem where they are a bit addictive but i think people use them for mostly the right reasons i mean it's like anything in life if you watch too many movies every day you'd get nothing done same thing with if you play too many games or read too many books sure did your like interest in these like characters within the game and interest in like them being able to interact in the story did that influence you in your interest in filmmaking and in acting then i think so because whenever i told my friends or i guess one friend in particular his name is kai dixon he's the person who really got me into filmmaking in the first place when i talked to him about books and about movies and games i told him that Whenever I read a book, I imagine myself playing the character in the book. Okay. And he thought that was weird because he's never he never did that himself. Yeah. And so I tend to do that with everything, whether it's movies uh, or books or video games. I try to imagine myself in these roles and how I would react personally. But also, from an actor's perspective, I was just wanting to feel like what it would be to experience these things. Yeah. And maybe not be myself. So, especially with books, like, I mean, if you read Harry Potter... I would imagine myself playing Harry Potter, being okay. Harry Potter, or it's always the main character. I didn't want to be a side Naturally, character. Naturally, <laughs> you want to be the yeah. hero. I mean, there's plenty of really great novels like that. I don't know who you, who you would choose in Gatsby. I'd probably choose Gatsby, but maybe uh, someone else would choose Nick. That's an interesting one. Yeah, I don't know. Because, like, everything's from Nick's perspective, right? Yeah, but it, I don't know what I'm drawn, what I was drawn to with certain books or video games, but... For the most part, it's the main character. Okay. See, I feel like that's interesting because I love to read, but I always viewed it as, like, the third person. And I would sympathize with some characters. But your your viewpoint is very, very different, kind of interesting, because you actually are in the story. Yeah. And then it makes it fun if you were to reread Harry Potter again, for instance. Like, if you kept on rereading that, but you kept on reading it from the perspective of a third person or trying to figure out how specifically Harry feels in this moment. I feel like if you flip that to where you wanted to try and experience Ron's perspective or mm-hmm. Hermione's perspective and you put yourself in those shoes and really try and focus on how they feel during all of these scenes rather than looking at it from a kind of a God perspective, you'll understand more about these specific characters. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. How old were you when you kind of first got into acting? I think my first play 
was when I was around seven years old, my sister has was getting into theater, and I saw her do Willy Wonka on stage, which was awful. Yeah. <laughs> but it was super cool. She didn't have a main part, but it was really cool to see people get up there and, and act and do all that work. So I was like, oh, I want to try this. And so I, I think I did Jack and the Beanstalk. I also did not have a leading role. <laughs> sure. I could not sing at all. So yeah, these were musicals too. And so at the time, I just didn't get any roles. And I really loved the theater. But for some reason, at that point in time, I was like, nah, maybe this isn't for me. So As a seven-year-old, I'm sure that's yeah, kind of a, oh, I want to try everything. Right. I want to do that with everything at any point in time, which is why acting was so fun, because you could try multiple things sure. that you would never get to try before. But so, yeah, after seven years old, then growing up with my friend Kai, we had known each other since we were in kindergarten. He had always just been in love with filming stuff and just having a camera in his hand. And it's really amazing to see how passionate someone is about something because he still does it and he's still done it ever since he was in kindergarten uh, to this day. Okay. He was the one who really initiated us to get involved in his film. So, like, we would do really dumb, stupid skits when we were younger. I mean, and we would just use something as simple as the computer on your Mac. Mm -hmm. And we'd film something about, like, illegal poachers one time, um, <laughs> which a lot of it was silly at first. A lot of the skits were just super weird, kid, silly stuff. Yeah. And then his first big embark, or was it embarkment? Is the right word? His first... Uh, uh, endeavor? His first big endeavor, I, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> his first big endeavor was creating a film based off the novel The Hobbit, which... Peter Jackson has done, uh, and there's a cartoon. Yeah. The cartoon's awful. And so that was his first challenge. I don't think the live action's much better, but that's another story. I think our version is better than the live action. <laughs> but then again, we were 10 years old, or uh, 11 years old, and mm. he, I mean, he tried his best. He made an hour-long film, and... Wow, it, an hour long as an 11-year-old. Yeah, and honestly, I mean, it took him, like, three years to do this because... We just, little kids' schedules don't line up. Yeah. <laughs> and then the actor who played Bilbo, his hair kept on getting longer and shorter, and so someone else would have to jump in and play as him, but not really. <laughs> so we'd have to figure out all these logistical things, which as a kid is just weird yeah. to think about. AKA, like, your parents had to figure out all these logistical things, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it took him, like, three or four years to complete it. And when it was done, it was sweet. I played uh, the guy who kills Smog. I think his name is Bard. Baird. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, from Lake Town. Yeah, from Lake Town. Yeah, exactly. So I had my compound bow <laughs> and shot shot him, and then did some other stuff. And then after that, we did Halo. So we have a whole film on okay. Halo. Went from fantasy to sci-fi. Fantasy and, to sci-fi. And all you know, production budget was there. I'm he sure he was the least bit of gamer I knew growing up, but he loved the story of Halo. So we created this Halo movie, that ended up being like another hour long thing that he that we did, and then from then on, we just kind of got into this movie making bug, and so we made like two zombie movies, a Hunger Games-esque movie, the movie that we got the most awards for, well so high school is when I got into the writing of the movies, oh, okay. and actually did stuff behind the scenes, and I had stepped away from acting for a little bit, like I didn't say how much I wanted to because I think I was testing out some other parts of filmmaking okay. but in the back of my head during that whole time I was always jealous 
when I couldn't act in a scene. So mm, interesting. At a certain point, I, I was just figured out that yeah, acting is what I want to do in this. Uh, in this business. So when you were filmmaking in high school, was that and still entirely on your own time, or was that through your school at all? Well, we got lucky because our teacher was super supportive of Kai and I. We were the only ones in the class that were well known. There was other people making really amazing work, mm-hmm. but for some reason, Kai was making work that was just above everyone's yeah. level. And I was lucky enough to be tagging along with him. Sure. Because it's really amazing how well of a filmmaker he was in high school. I mean, he made, by our senior year, our whole project for our senior class in film was a feature film, which no one had ever done at our school. And our teacher was just super supportive of it. Like, we didn't have to do any of the other assignments that any of the other kids did in that class. Yeah. We just... We're working on this feature film, and that was going to be their grade at the end of the year. Wow. And so it was super cool. So he really let us have a lot of freedom and get away with a lot of shenanigans that we should not have gotten away <laughs> with. And, I mean, we were filming things that we shouldn't have been filming. We were filming high school parties. We were filming people car surfing, <laughs> vandalizing. And when you're doing it in high school, you don't know that you need permits to film places. Sure. So we just got there and, went and filmed it, which it's, is, I think, in my opinion, the best way to do it, because yeah. it's also the most unsafe and you're liable for a lot of legal issues. But as kids, you don't know that. And they don't take you seriously as a kid anyway, so they will, they will let you film anywhere. Interesting. Okay. Almost anywhere. We, yeah. almost got in, we did almost get in trouble from the Broadmoor, which is a hotel in Colorado Springs for filming there. But we had permission to film there. Uh, but they didn't want us to use a scene that we filmed in one of the restaurants and put it in the movie, which we still kept it in the movie. Because yeah. we had emails from higher up saying that we were able to film and that we were able to use this footage. And basically, I mean, they couldn't go back on their word. And for some reason, they were like, yeah, you're right. You can't go back on our word. <laughs> uh, we got really lucky. And my mom works there too. So I'm sure she said some stuff, but it maybe some... they realized they would end up looking like a bunch of bullies to little kids or like high maybe. schoolers. Or they something. probably also realized that no one, like it's a high school movie. Yeah. No one's watching this That's and no one too. cares where this restaurant team was. I just thought it was ridiculous that for just high schoolers, we're just making a movie. Yeah. So yeah, we worked on that film the entire senior year. Every single scene we were filming, probably like a week out, we were just writing it as we were filming it. Okay. And there'd be three of us in a room every morning uh, for school, because our class was the very first class, and we'd basically rehearse scenes, write scenes, and just do anything that we needed to do, plan anything we needed to plan, and then on our off time, when you were out of school, is when we would really film everything, unless we were filming a school scene. And we made sure to never go... I mean, we did go way above the level of filming that we should have been, like with one of the movies we did, Theseus, where it was this Hunger Games-esque, but you would land into this island on these huge dropships, and it was just way above our skill level. Mm-hmm. And it still looked good, but it looked like a high school film. Yeah. So that was the biggest issue that we wanted to kind of squash, was that we're high schoolers. There's only so much that we can show, especially with our faces. So... Mm-hmm. The biggest lesson that we kind of learned was just don't go above your skill set and what you're going to be able to do and uh, make it look professional. Because if okay. we try to do an alien attack 
it just wouldn't look clean. It wouldn't look like, look like a professional movie. Right. But if we try to film something like this spectacular now, we could do that. Mm-hmm. So it was always something that we could do. And then we went to college and I went to CU, kind of gave up the idea of acting. And then after my first semester at CU, I was miserable. Yeah. I got way too involved in partying and kind of lost myself through the process of that one semester. Okay. And midway through, I got a call from my friend, Kai, who was going to the Savannah College of Art and Design. Okay. And he asked me to be in a role for something. And I immediately said yes, and I immediately applied to SCAD, and then <laughs> uh, decided after that phone call that I was done going to CU Boulder and that I would pursue acting full-time and see, see how that went. So you had, at that point, tried a bunch of the different things in terms of filmmaking with some of the writing and behind-the-scenes stuff. Why was acting kind of calling to you at that point? Is it because Kai was calling you to act in something? No, because we needed more help behind the scenes or behind the camera, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Now that we know how, like, an actual set runs, we didn't, we had enough actors, even though we probably could have gotten a little bit more extras. That was always hard to get were extras for some of these scenes. Sure. But the main cast was kind of just fell in place really easily for a lot of the movies that we did. But I think that I had grown so in love with acting because... I like photography. I love visuals, and I love the idea of it. Mm-hmm. But at the time that I was in high school, it just wasn't the thing that I was going to be in control of in these films. Kai was the big one in cinematography, okay, and he just he had the reins. So I was like, sure. So at that point, I was like, yeah, I don't. I mean, you're you're this is your thing. You're big on it, and I'm not as passionate about photography or films in that way sure and so then i was also i mean we'd split jobs up of editing and doing sound i did not like the tedious editing Uh, okay i mean it was fun it was cool kind of to mix your own reels and do all that but it wasn't again something that i was passionate about filmmaking like i liked it but it, it wasn't something that i loved yeah doing sound sucked okay that's awful to people who do sound they have a lot of patience and they have great arm strength because <laughs> holding the boom, <laughs> holding and the boom. it's so <laughs> annoying. So yeah, for me, writing and acting, and just kind of encapsulated everything that I thought about filmmaking, which was, which was just creating a story. Okay. And I love the idea of being one of the characters to bring the story to life and make it as relatable and true as possible. The idea of also getting to experience someone else's story was super intriguing to me Mm. and experienced someone else's life. And so the idea of the characters that I played were completely opposite of who I was in real life. Yeah. I played drunks, which eventually see you. My character arc in our feature film kind of replicated some of my real life in CU (laughs) for a moment. But most of them were just me being really nasty person, just kind of a mean guy. And I don't think I'm a mean guy. <laughs> I, would, I would agree for our listeners, you know, Gunner is not a mean guy. <laughs> so I would be playing these really nasty characters and just people that didn't line up with who I was in real life. And was I thought that, that was so cool. Yeah, was that, that was so fun? much fun. Yeah. It was just interesting to be in these characters' heads. And especially when we got into college, that's when a lot of the real fun came into because I really understood acting and 
the classes that I took got me into this mental space that really helped me understand how to act in the best way possible. Gunner is one groovy dude, and he and I have spent a whole bunch of time talking movies during our time in school. Fortunately, I'm going to spare you one of those conversations. Let's take a quick ad break before we return for more with Gunner Renyard. Are you always stuck halfway up a wall and wish you had a snack? Feel no more. With new Cheeto Puff Chalk, you'll never slip off the wall and you'll never go hungry. Cheeto Puff Chalk uses the finest leftover Cheeto dust to create a substance that sticks to walls and satisfies like no other. Because when you're halfway up a rock wall, you gotta reach into that bag for some... Cheeto Puff Chalk. We're back with Gunner, where we discuss the life of an actor at SCAD, how acting taught him to be more empathetic to different experiences, and why he chose to leave performing arts to pursue advertising. What was the culture like at SCAD? Like, once you got there, I'm sure it was a vastly different experience, both, like, socioeconomically, like, regionally from CU, but then also just kind of having that direction of like wanting to be there for acting. How, how did that change? What was that like? The environment of SCAD is very energetic. Mm -hmm. It's either you're there to do something or you do what I do that I did at CU and you flunk out in the first quarter, which 50% of the freshmen that go to SCAD flunk out in the first quarter. Wow. Uh, because you don't realize how passionate you actually have to be to go to the school and be successful. A lot of kids just kind of waste their time and they don't realize what it actually takes to go into art. Mm -hmm. And of course, I mean, to be completely honest, performing arts is the easiest major at SCAD. In, okay. in my opinion, I think it is. Maybe for someone who's not a performer, but for the people who are performers, we look at everyone, I feel like I look at everyone else mm -hmm. and I thought you are doing so much more work than I am. And maybe okay. that shouldn't be true because like I was still on a lot of films, but... The amount of time that they did to get these films together, especially as a producer or director, I think it takes a lot more hours than being a character in a film. That could just be my personal experience, and it maybe is, but when I look at a lot of the other majors there, like architecture or interior design, I'm not sleeping under my desk Okay. every night. Fair enough. And filmmakers who are creating these films, and I feel like they put in a lot more pre and post work. Whereas mm -hmm. an actor, I'm just putting in pre and then during production work and then post work. I just wait. Yeah. You're oh, just waiting I'm, for it to come out at that point. Yeah. So I think that's why I think that it's it, specifically filmmaking uh, takes a lot more time and energy just because we don't have as much work to do once the camera's off. Sure. So what was... Like, what sorts of things do you do at SCAD then? Like, what what sort of, like, what are classes about? Like, what do you learn about and kind of study when you're doing performing arts? So, we took a lot of improv classes. I think okay. the mandatory one was two improv classes, but if you really loved improv, you could take more and more if mm -hmm. you wanted to. And then there was a really cool class called Conditioning for the Body and Mind, which is really trying to teach you on how to convey messages without saying anything mm. or finding like 
balancing your body and being neutral. Just kind of clearing your monkey mind, or at least that's what the teacher called it, <laughs> was your monkey mind. Because as an actor, it's really easy to get distracted by everything else going on that you just need to stay neutral so that when you're in the scene, you're not going to be easily distracted by something that's not going on in the moment. Okay. And then you learn a lot about just the foundations of acting, and then you take it to a higher level every single year. And they also have stage combat, which is a super fun class. <laughs> I love stage combat. I, If I had done my second semester of it, I would have been certified in it. Okay. pretty fun I, it's yeah. real it's like I mean it was stage combat mixed with stunt work so I had a blast doing that and then yeah of course just the regular acting classes and then they always encourage you to audition and be in plays or films and I think that's where you get the bulk of your experience is yes the classes are fun you will do scene work every single day in those classes whether it's to be performing on a stage or be performing in front of a camera both types of performing require different skill sets. They're both very different performing types. Real understanding that and applying it to the real world when you're filming with the other students, I think that's where a lot of the experience comes from. It's all the onset experience because in class you can feel like you can mess up mm-hmm. and it'll be okay, which means you should go all out, do everything how you think, and if you're wrong, who cares? Like just keep doing it again and again because the more you're wrong, the closer you are to being right. And so when you're on a film set with students, if you're doing it on film, you only really get two shots to nail the scene. Or if you're doing it digitally, you'll have more than two shots, but then they're going to have to stop you at a certain time because it's schedule. So you really don't have much time to nail this character. Sure. So I think that's when the experience really comes in. What sorts of things did you take away from acting and from studying performing arts that have kind of stayed with you, have kind of influenced you to where you are now? I think one of the biggest takeaways from what I learned studying acting and doing all those classes and films is, is that persistence and hard work is key in everything that we do. It doesn't matter what it is. There's truth to everyone and to everyone's situation. No one's doing something for nothing. Mm-hmm. When you are studying a character trying to do a scene, one of the biggest things that you need to look for is what the truth of the scene is. Mm-hmm. And it's, that's just like, I'll tie it into advertising. I think that's exactly the same thing. That that's one of the first things you look at in advertising is where's the truth and whatever we're trying to do. And I think that's in everything. And so you have to study the character's wants and what they're trying to gain from this conversation. So, or this is scene. It doesn't mean need to be from a conversation. It's just we all have our actions and all, we're all deliberate, deliberately doing something for a reason. And so I feel like becoming more empathetic and trying to really see someone else's perspective has carried me to be a better person, I feel like, and to carry me to be a more hardworking and more aware person. Um, so I think definitely growing up, I was very ignorant to a lot of things going on in the world. And so moving to Savannah and getting to understand this different culture and different way of life and meeting so many people throughout all these experiences and learning about their lives and their perspectives. And then playing all the characters that I played, I think that 
I by no means know what it feels like to be in some of these roles. Yeah. But I think we all try to really understand what it's like. We'll be closer to being, I don't know, kind of just better altogether. Just better humans, more empathetic to different situations and whatnot. Yeah, and everyone experiences something completely different. So I think that, you know, there's a plan to everything. Mm -hmm. I don't think we all know the plan, but... (laughs) We're all kind of discovering it along the way. Yeah, but I don't think anything happens for no reason. I think there's always a reason. Okay. So you ended up deciding to not continue with performing arts. Yeah. How did that all kind of work for you? To where now you're you're doing art direction here at Denver Ad School. Yeah. Kind of how what was that transition like from being into acting and enjoying it from everything it sounds mm-hmm. like to then doing this kind of different creative yeah well I'm still very passionate about acting and I was very happy to hear my friend Kai move back to Colorado and he's kind of making Colorado his home base and so he's okay nice um yeah it's awesome he still goes out and films in other places but him and his friend are wanting to film a movie here and so it was really cool to hear them reach out to me to play a part so I'm still very much passionate about it but I learned something about myself and kind of about the way that I look at the world and kind of what I dream about having as I grow up. Mm-hmm. The uh, idea of having a family to me has always been one of my top dreams. I've always wanted kids, be a dad. And the more that I got into acting, the more that I realized that this dream might not be as attainable as soon as I want it to be. Okay. I don't feel comfortable being... A, and no offense to any bartenders or servers out there, but as a actor trying to find jobs in Hollywood or New York or Chicago or wherever you are, mm-hmm. being a, uh, having a job on the side like that and also trying to pursue your dream, it's a shot in the dark. And I think the people who really go through that and persist through it and become successful, I think that is absolutely amazing. But for me... I just got to the point where I understood I couldn't do that. I didn't want to do that. A lot of things I do, it's like all or nothing. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I thought about acting. But then when I realized everything else that I wanted in life, which is a family, wanted uh, to still be creative. Mm-hmm. But I just didn't feel like acting was going to get me to the happy spot that I wanted to be. I didn't want that to become a job. I didn't want to have to worry about how I'm going to get next month's rent. I yeah. really just wanted more stability in my life in order to have everything else that I wanted. Plus, and, I hear being famous sucks. Yeah, I also did not... <laughs> uh, look, at, look, at, look at famous people today. I was worried about being famous too. <laughs> it's yes. just... Uh, I would hate people always trying to come up to me. It'd be awful. Mm-hmm. So that's always a worry too. I didn't want to <laughs> risk it actually working. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, fair enough. But... I still feel like I'm very passionate about filmmaking and acting, and so mm-hmm. even though it's not my main agenda, I found another thing that I really love to do, which is art directing and advertising, and I figured that out through going to SCAD, and so I feel like if I hadn't gone to SCAD, I wouldn't have ever known any of this, mm-hmm. which is why I feel like if you feel really strongly about doing something, go ahead and go do it, because then you'll figure out whether or not that's truly the way you want to live the rest of your life. 
Yeah. I mean, if you don't try, then you're always going to have that little thing in the back of your head telling you, you need to go. Mm-hmm. So I'm happy that I tried it, happy that I did it. Not happy at the paycheck or the, <laughs> um, the balance and the, uh, all the loans that I have to pay off. Sure. I'm happy that I understood really what was important to me in life. You were pursuing something you wanted to because like, regardless of whether you're in a relationship or not, the uh, actor's life, whether you're struggling or successful, yeah, carries a lot of weight to it. It does, and there's a lot more stressfulness that goes to living that life. Yeah. Um, and so I found out about advertising. I had been really wanting to get into more visual arts as it is when I was going through SCAD because I really mm-hmm. loved just seeing all these people create amazing works of art. I mean, the people who go to SCAD are some of the most creative people that I'll ever meet in my life. Yeah. So I just wanted to do more visual stuff like that as I was going through it. And I was also trying to start my own business, which didn't work out. We're still trying it. It's still around, but we're just trying to wrap our heads around exactly what we're trying to do. Sure. But that's a whole nother thing. And so I realized that I had changed my major to this uh, social media kind of major. And it was all about like social media management. And in my head, I was thinking, oh, I'm like going to be creating those amazing, beautiful images and photos that are on all the, you see where I messed up? Yeah, that doesn't sound <laughs> like what a social media manager yeah, does. It was strategy <laughs> and management. So okay. uh, at that time, I didn't understand what strategy meant, Sure. Uh, even though it's pretty self-explanatory. But like in the marketing and ad world, I didn't understand. So basically, I was, gonna, I was studying to become a strategist mm-hmm. for social media. And so my friends were like, yeah, that's not what you're doing. And mm-hmm. so they kind of cleared it up for me. And then they told me what I want to be doing is art directing. Okay. And so then I took an advertising class. Within that first class, I had Luke Sullivan who wrote the book, Hey Whipple, Squeeze This. Mm-hmm. So he's pretty well known in the ad world because of that book and what he's done. And in that first class, I immediately knew, yep, yeah, okay. We're doing <laughs> this. Because I, I mean, I've always loved branding and packaging and some ads are terrible some ads are really great but i always love to just read the useless not the useless information but like some packaging just has extra information or some ads just have extra bits of things i just like looking at and Mm -hmm. it was really cool to me and i'd always done marketing in high school as well i was part of deca which is this like marketing club that is all around the u.s and you go ahead and you role play and try to like pitch ideas so it was really cool yeah. And I was always into the business side of things as well as the creative side. And so it kind of just made sense. Yeah, it's a nice combination there then of being that creative self and then also in using some of that business knowledge and yeah. interest. So I was, by the time I had gone midway through my first advertising class there, I had been kind of just tired of being in Savannah by yeah. that point. And I knew that if I had changed my major, I was going to be there for another probably four years, which I probably would have been spending another $150,000. Jeez. So at that point in the semester, I decided, well, we're going to finish this semester, but I really got to look at other options because Mm -hmm. this is what I want to do, but I can't stay at this college and keep spending money. Right. So I just ended up telling my dad what was happening. Surprisingly, my parents, I think they had heard me start over on a lot of things throughout life, so they kind of <laughs> so they kind of just got to the point where they're like, yep, 
makes sense. We kind of knew you want you were getting tired of it. There's something about you, and I was like, huh. I guess they do know everything. But at least they know you. <laughs> they know me. Yeah, me and not everything. But uh, so they were okay with the change, uh, except for this time around. Uh, I was very privileged that my parents were helping me pay for college. Okay. Uh, but they were not gonna help pay for this. So that's all fair. Yeah. I was the one dropping out of college, and I was the one who was starting over again. So I had to figure out how to get back home, and then move out to Denver and it was really good you know learning experience and now it's a uh, cool that cool to finally be here you talked about having an interest or at least you spent time doing writing for like the filmmaking that you did and then you also had interest in the photography and like the visual side of things with filmmaking as well why why did you lean into art direction and that visual side? Did you think about going the copywriting route I, at all? Yeah, because in the first class that we took, Luke was like, you're not, you don't have to choose between art direction and copywriting right now. Because mm-hmm. this class is meant for you to explore both. Yeah. Um, so we were with a partner, and our brand was, oh my gosh, it's just a hockey team in... Maryland. I think it's Maryland. I don't know. So it's based on selling tickets. Okay. Like so it was my friend or the I'll call him a friend. Yeah. My my partner and my friend. <laughs> he was uh, I just met him that quarter. Um but we became friends after we were partners for ten weeks and so he uh wanted to do the hockey team and he wanted to try and sell more tickets and I was like, Well, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know if that's right. That's what we should be doing. Yeah. But this is our first exercise. So yeah, whatever. Let's do, let's do it. I don't care. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. It was so much fun creating ideas and little visual pieces for this hockey team and trying to sell tickets. But throughout that process, we were both writing tons of lines every day. We were both creating tons of visuals. And I just had more fun doing the visual stuff. Okay. I think that my brain works a lot more visually than it does any other way. Mm. I don't know why. I guess it's just whenever I think of an ad, for example, it's just always more visual. I don't really know what the copy's going to say. I kind of have an idea, Yeah. but I don't really think like that. So it just made sense. And I feel like I could always connect with a visual more than I could ever really connect with words. Sure. Even though, you know, writing scripts... And doing all that was something that I really love to do. I just thought, I'll just have this also be something that's on the side and not be a passion. Did you feel that way about filmmaking? Like, were you more interested in how to to tell the story visually than, like, necessarily what the dialogue was? Yeah, because I was terrible at writing dialogue. Okay. And so is Kai. (laughs) (laughs) So a lot of the dialogue came up being on the spot for a lot of our films. Okay. Um, we had like a, a guideline, but then we'd be on set and... Just kind of improv? Well, we would say those lines and sometimes they would work out and it could also be because we weren't the best actors in high school either and they probably sounded really weird. But there's also other people who told us they sounded weird when they first <laughs> read them. So we're like, maybe it's not like an actor issue, it's probably just the writing issue. Yeah. And so if we need to change something, it'd just immediately be changed. Gotcha. If anyone thought it sounded weird. That was why doing it in high school was so much fun, because everyone was flexible. Yeah, (laughs) I'm sure. 
Gunner is super driven and passionate about ideas and creativity. In this week's Ask the Host segment, Gunner asked me about my passion growing up and if I chose to follow it, leading to a fun discussion about music and jazz improvisation. You ready? Maybe. Okay. (laughs) What was your biggest passion in life? And did you ever pursue it as a career choice? Um, And if you did... Well, what is what is your passion and how did it go? If you <laughs> didn't, why not? So for me, I think what I was probably most passionate about in like middle school and high school was music. I played trumpet and French horn starting in fourth grade. Played it all through high school and... I really, really enjoyed it, and just, like, I, I was I was one of the band guys. Like, I, I played in the symphonic group. I played in the jazz group. I would play for, like, church services and everything. I played in groups outside of, outside of school. But I, kind of like you with acting, didn't really like the outlook of a career in music where either I would be teaching music and not really being valued or be making a ton of money or I could try to go the performance route and that would be very hard and potentially juggling like other things on the side as well. And I didn't want my passion for music to go away to be replaced with a need to play and whatnot and a need to be good enough at it to make a living so I decided not to kind of go down that route but I was very fortunate that when I went to college I went to Xavier University which has a music department but it's not necessarily like it's not like a top program by any means versus there's the university of cincinnati which has ccm which is this fantastic like international level um conservatory that's there and so i kind of got to be around the music people and fit in with them even though i wasn't a music ed person or studying music performance like as my major So that was really cool to still get to have that outlet of playing music in college. I played in the symphonic wind ensemble. I played in the jazz ensemble and I played with the pep band. And so everybody that was there or not everybody, but so like there were like five to 10 music majors that were in the band, but then everybody else was kind of like me where they were in other majors and they were just there because they wanted to play music and they wanted to keep playing music. And so that to me was very much worth it to get to be there and have it just be a passion project instead of it like needing to work out. Yeah. I totally understand that perspective as well. And so jazz, if I'm wrong, 
which I could be, is kind of like the improv of music, right? Yeah, for sure. So a lot of a lot of jazz is based on improvisation. There's some variety in terms of if you're talking about like more like big band versus like a smaller like combo with just like three to four musicians there's a lot more opportunity when you're in a smaller group for improv versus you kind of have a lot more kind of structure with like a larger big band arrangement but yeah so so much of it is based on improvisation which is really cool because it is just like pure creation but it's also like like I started playing jazz when I was in sixth grade and just looking back it's like how do you teach a sixth grader to like improv and everything like that's like yeah. all really fascinating to me and it was it's tough too because like when you're improvising in jazz like you you have like the structure as far as like what the chords are and so you kind of have an idea of like what notes will sound better okay what based on what the chords are but it's still up to you to kind of put those things in order okay who controls like the tempo? Uh, or is that kind of like a collective effort? So, <laughs> so in truth, it's it's really the rhythm section that drives the tempo. Okay. So specifically, like the the drummer, that's like his right. his or her job to keep time and everything and keep everyone on the same page. Um, but oh, that's interesting. But really, it's it's dependent on everyone to kind of be on the same same page with it. So, but so you're, you're taking influence from that. You're taking influence from the, what the other instruments are playing like in the background. And you are trying to create kind of like your own like story or I, one person once described to me as having a conversation. Kind of like what you want to say when you're playing like an improvised solo. That's cool. So a movie like Whiplash, is that kind of, uh, <laughs> does that encapsulate that world, maybe not as harsh, as, it's pretty harsh from that perspective. Yeah. I'm sure that is some truth in some areas, but with how strict it is for the percussion, is that true? Like, teachers are a lot more on top of them than they would be. I others. think so. Um, <laughs> I feel like the band directors that I had were always the harshest on the drummers, <laughs> just trying to like keep them in sync and everything. And because really, like, when, when you have, like, a, a, a director that's in front of the band versus just, like, a group just, like, playing by themselves, like, their, their direct liaison is the drummer. Okay. To try to keep order and over things. I think, like, it's not necessarily that harsh all the times, but the drummers, like, in jazz, really, like, once you become, like, a good jazz drummer, you can play anything. Like, that's sweet. Like you can play rock or pop or anything else because like jazz kind of is like that most kind of like complex of things. Yeah. And there's a lot of variety in terms of like the different, the different moods and the different styles that you play, whether it's kind of like your, you know, your classic like swing tempo, like upbeat, like swing dancing type thing. Or if it's kind of a more chill, kind of like bossa nova, kind of a Latin-y feel, or if it's just like a, a straight feel, it's all... It all kind of depends. I I kind of wish that I could like just like sit down on a drum set and like fiddle around a little bit, but yeah. like I don't have that coordination between like my feet and my hands to like two like different things. It's incredible. Yeah. I, so 
I don't know. That that just kind of boggles my mind. There's a band called King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, and they're <laughs> I think they're from Australia, but they do so many different genres of music, and it's really fascinating. But one thing that makes them super unique, at least I think it's unique, is that mm. they have two drummers, and so both oh. those drummers are playing at the exact same time, the exact same notes, and they're always staying on like point with one another. That's I impressive. think that is just crazy to think about. Yeah. Um, but back to you. Did you create your own music? So I tried as a kid a little bit to like write stuff out like on the computer a little bit. I think I was I was better as an improviser than I was at necessarily like trying to sit down and write something. And even then, like I know some people who like kind of hear the music in the head or they know like what it sounds like before they're playing it so they're kind of composing and then playing at the same time yeah versus for me it was kind of more instantaneous where like i wasn't like what you heard was my thought musically okay like i i wasn't i wasn't quick enough or like good enough to like think of what i was going to play before i played it it just came out okay so do you think if you like filmed yourself while you're having these moments of (laughs) playing you'd be able to i guess write songs a lot better or not better um just in jet like i guess i don't know how, how i'm trying to that would it help you if you you wanted to do the writing process i think so because like kind of the the biggest i feel like my biggest hurdle was all right i have an idea of something that may sound cool in my head mm-hmm. how can i take that out of my head and put it in the real world and so for me, like that, the easiest way to do that would be to like find the notes on the trumpet and then like play, like essentially figure out what I'm humming or what I'm thinking and then play it in the trumpet and then say, okay, that's what those notes are and then write it down. Yeah. So like it would be like a very complicated process versus like a professional musician, professional composer could like sit at the piano and probably be like oh yeah that's this note like i can figure it out or like the people with perfect pitch are just incredible where it's like oh yeah i know this this note that i'm thinking of right now or that i'm humming right now that's you know in, in a flat in this octave or yeah. something and so i can just kind of start there and then write it out from there so i i was <laughs> i was never that good in terms of like being able to just do that so it would be kind of a more intensive and exhaustive process to sit down and write yeah. everything out. Music is crazy. It is. I can't wrap my head around how it's made. It's just... I'm in, I, I'd am i be very intrigued to learn, but I don't know how much time I'd put into it because I, yeah. I, I feel like it's so... It's just such an amazing talent to have. Mm-hmm. I played clarinet for about two years. Yeah. It's not that good. <laughs> but... Yeah, that's fair. In terms of bringing sounds to life I just it's it's crazy well that wraps up for this episode Gunnar Renyard will finish at Denver Ad School after the winter 2021 quarter I'm Jeff Olery thank you for listening to this episode of Journey to Ad